And so maybe the, the heart of this whole thing is if we're serious about teachers being models of lifelong learning, right? Yeah, we talk sure. a lot about lifelong learning for our students, yeah. but for us too, that means we're going to keep developing. And developing yeah. means sometimes we're going to let go of things we used to think, and sometimes it means we're going to recommit ourselves yeah. to things mm -hmm. we've really now said, this is how I think it is. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of collaboration and reflection as we seek to keep growing as teachers. So this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name's Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. As always, we want to thank you for allowing the three of us to be here with you, and we want to thank you for joining us in the hallway. Each week, one of us brings a question or a topic that we try to think creatively around in the context of Christian education and teaching Christianly. We are good friends who love each other and love engaging each other in conversation about our practice, and our deep hope is that you are enriched and encouraged in your own work, and maybe even in your everyday walking around life. Well, we have a long list of topics we want to talk about. We also want to know what hallway conversations you'd like to hear. So if you have ideas or questions or feedback about this podcast, or simply want to share what conversations you're having with your peers, please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. Today's question comes from our friend Dave, hey. who actually happens <laughs> to be sitting in this room. So here's the question. Yeah, it's funny you say that. In our last few weeks, we've right, had been a while. questions coming over. So uh, I'll ask the question first, and then I want to tell a little bit of the story okay. of why I'm asking the question. Okay, my my wondering for you guys today is, what have you changed your mind about? Yeah. What what's something in education you changed your mind? And and here's why I ask this question. Now, I I. I used to put a lot of stock in the idea of learning styles, hmm. like the, the idea that different kids learn differently, and, and you know, some kids are visual learners, and some kids are auditory learners, and some kids are kinesthetic learners, and yeah. I, man, I spent a lot of time early in my career trying to, like, arrange things in my classroom practice around that, right? Like, oh, but what am I going to do for my visual learners? And I actually, for a couple years, was, like, giving kids a survey at the beginning of the year to say, sure. like, let's find out what your learning style is, you know? And the longer I taught, the more I kind of became unsettled by that mm -hmm. because... I don't know, there's something about it that just felt kind of weird, felt kind of off. And when I was in grad school, I actually found, like, there's actually basically zero empirical evidence. There's no evidence in the research that says different people learn differently. Like, there's really no such thing as a visual learner, okay. and which which surprised me when I first saw it. And I better link that. So there's actually a pretty good report, um, and it's from a group that's like um, Science in the Public Interest or something like that. And I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, because it's if you're into that kind of thing, there's some really good research that says, here's why it's in it. And, and basically what I came to realize when I started reading this research was, okay, let's say you're going to learn how to speak Spanish. How are you going to learn to speak Spanish. You're, you're going to learn it auditorily, hmm. right? You're going to learn it, and it doesn't matter if you're an audio learner or a kinesthetic, you're going to learn how to speak Spanish by hearing it spoken. Like right. that's, that is the way you learn. How are you going to learn geography? How are you going to learn the geography of Central America? You're going to do that visually looking at a map. Yeah. Like, 
And and one of my professors in grad school actually, not mockingly, but jokingly says, so what does it mean? Like, I'm an olfactory learner. I have to learn things by smelling, right? It, it just starts prompting you to kind of ask those questions. And why this all came to mind for me again, there was a video that I saw um, shared on Twitter. Uh, a couple of my friends, disparate friends who don't know each other, shared the same video. So then I watched it and like, wow, that's really interesting. And it was at that same topic, right? Like this idea of, of learning styles is a myth. And we need to stop perpetuating it, right? The, the, the evidence doesn't back this up. We, we shouldn't talk about kids having different styles of learning. Now, all that said, like, multimodal teaching is right. still a promising practice. I was going to say, it's not that right? you can't use multiple methods to right. present the same information. Right. And, yeah. and, in fact, we should because right. it is going to help people remember things better if they can connect with these yeah. same Because there's all kinds of research also about dual coding Correct. and dual processing yeah. and mixing the, the written word with pictures exactly. or images or colors. And, and so, so much yeah. of it then is matching your methods to the learning target mm -hmm. and saying, how am I going to ensure students are going to remember this. Well, if you're teaching visual information, you should probably use visuals. Yeah. If you're teaching auditory information, you should use auditory. If you're learning how to change a tire of the car, can you watch a video about it or do you have to go change the tire? You're going to remember it a lot better if you actually do the work of changing the tire, but I'm still going to go watch the video on YouTube first as a reminder to it, right? Like that. So, you know, multimodal teaching is, is still promising practice. I want to be clear about that, too. But I'm also going to try to not pass that myth on to my students now. Um, so they're not going to waste time doing a survey of their students. Because like, unless you are visually impaired, you are a visual learner. Unless you're auditorily impaired, you are an auditory learner. Right? So I guess maybe that's the, the frame for this. That's something I've changed my mind about over the 20-odd years I've been teaching. And maybe it's helpful to have a protocol for this. I don't know. So the profile I like is uh, I used to think, but now I think. I used to yeah. think learning styles were an important thing and that I should try to tailor my teaching to my students' learning styles. And now I think, yeah, different kids do have different preferences for things, but I'm not going to overemphasize that. I'm going to ensure strong pedagogy that aligns my methods to the learning targets. Right. I like that. I like the language of multi multimodal versus yeah. learning styles. I think that's yeah. I think that's really helpful for me personally. So yeah. thanks for that. Abby, how about you? Like any I mean, there's probably a wide range of things, right. but what comes to your oh, mind? Man. Like you said, what haven't I changed my yeah. mind about? Right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh well I I think that I'm going to talk about um, one of the themes that kind of runs through my grad work, which I'm still in kind of the thick of and so is on my mind. So that's what I'm going to talk about um, has been really opening up my eyes to um, the diversity of learning experiences for people across the country and also um, the diversity that's necessary, I think, mm. in our own classrooms mm. yeah. um, as far as experiences that we've portray or expose kids to um, along race, socioeconomic, um, cultural, mm -hmm. all kinds of different levels. Yeah. Because I, I tend to have taught, obviously, in a place that was very homogeneous, right? Yeah. So in Northwest Iowa, um, my students were diverse in many ways, but they were also all came from very similar homes, Sure, yeah. had very similar backgrounds. Um, and so I used to think that I didn't really need to know that much or put much stock in diversity mm -hmm. because the students I taught were not diverse. I didn't, I wasn't teaching in a place where I had a variety of cultures. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't, like everyone, it was a Christian school. They were all K 
came from the same religious background, um, some socioeconomic diversity, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I used to think that really wasn't important in my practice because it wasn't something I dealt with. And now I believe that every single teacher, no matter their student makeup, needs to be equipped to present to their students a wide variety of Mm, stories and experiences um, of people who are very different from them. Yeah. Were there there particular, I'm probing here, are there particular Mm -hmm. things that in in your grad work that kind of started shifting that thinking? Yeah. Um, Well, right away, readings, right? So Mm -hmm. I realized that my particular school experience was was very different from what a lot of students in this country experience, mm. right? For quality, teacher turnover, mm. resources available. Yeah. Um, it just it was exceptional on mm. on many levels, and mm. also just the experiences of people who are very different from me that I learned with. Yeah. So I, I my grad work is through the University of Florida. So just the the sheer differences in the people that I encountered mm-hmm. from people that I've encountered before, all of whom are dear friends of mine, actually, now, right? I stay at their house when I go to Florida. Um, Many of them have spoken in my classes. I'm in contact with them on social media. Um, And so that was part of it. But also um, just different um, readings. And also um, there's a particular TED Talk that kind of sums it up nice. Nicely, and we're going to link to it, um, but it's sure. called The Danger of a Single Story, and it's by a Nigerian writer named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and she really talks about, um, she tells the story of growing up in Nigeria, and all of the literature that she could get her hands on was English, so oh, yeah. she's a black woman, and everything she read was of children with blonde hair and blue eyes, um, drinking tea and eating cookies and so when she started writing she thought that all of the children in her books had to be the same instead of writing out of her own experience and she kind of extrapolates that into different um, stories of her own life and the danger it is when we're only presented one way of seeing things and how that limits us in our perspective and so when I think about translating that as an English teacher right that means that even if my students all have very similar backgrounds, it's my responsibility as a teacher to also present to them other ways of seeing. So that when they grow up and encounter people who are different from them, they will have a framework. Mm -hmm. And they will be able to be culturally literate, right? In a way that allows them to be disciples. Um, Instead of thinking that their culture and their experience is the only experience you're right, right. Yeah. Um, because it's the only story they've ever known. Makes me. It makes me think sometimes that. Um, so, my wonder is is just how much conflict exists in the world over assumptions or misunderstood worldviews mm-hmm. about who our neighbor is, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, and I just and I to me that's the importance of it is like like we have. We have so much more in common with everyone in the world than yes. we do different. It's like we have so much more in common. It, I don't. It doesn't matter if, in my mind who it is. We still have more in common than we do different, and yet we focus on those differences mostly because we don't give our students a chance to discover what we have in common. And that's mm-hmm. where I think, like through literature, through image, and whatever it is, mm-hmm. poetry, um, the the power yeah. of exposing. Um, that these that these are my brothers and sisters. These right. people are made in the image of right. God, and that's what gives them value 
um, regardless of, of what they believe, regardless of, of their background, right. is that they, they have values simply because mm-hmm. they've been, been created by God. So, what, well, I, what I love about your story, Abby, is the, this, so this is about education and how education right. can change your mind, right? Yeah. There's, there's a part yeah. of me that immediately thinks, like, isn't that what we ought to be about, right? right? Like, right. when you learn things, your thinking will likely change, and yes. that's what we ought to be about in yeah. education. Yeah. And then I just I just think about how many images that I had before that through knowing more stories of different people yeah. right have mm-hmm. shifted. So even when you think of of people groups, when you think of Native Americans, right? And the more stories that I read and the more yeah. that I learn, the more that image, that stereotypical one-dimensional yeah. image mm-hmm. that I had yeah. of a group of people shifts and changes and and gets more complex. And yeah. that's what I'm talking about, right? We need to Instead of presenting just one story, like, or about slavery, right? If that's the only story mm-hmm. that we ever tell yeah. about African Americans in this country, yeah. that's unfair. How about you, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. I changed your mind. About no, it? I mean, I did. I joked earlier about, like, yeah, what haven't I changed my mind? In fact, I wrote, I wrote the question down, what, like, what have I, but what haven't I changed my yeah. mind about, right? It's like, because I feel like in some ways that li- that list is smaller. But but I, I one of the things that really came to my mind is you were telling your story, Dave. If I, if I think about, like, when I started teaching years ago in Montana, one of the things that I sort of laugh about now is that I thought my classroom was the most important class in the school. Oh, yeah. Like, I... <laughs> well, it was. And it was, right? Like, and, like, but then I really, like, I was protective. Like, you know, like, for sure, math and science, those are... But, Matt, like, what we do here really, like, really? that matters. <laughs> but that, this really matters. And, and almost being, like, taken aback that students didn't see it the same way, the same way I did. So I, so I think, I think my own under like the arrogance of that compared mm-hmm. to now where it's like, wow, like we are part of this bigger educational st- story, right? Like yeah. where, whether it's in a university or you're in, you know, middle school or elementary school, that, that all of these, all of these classes are opportunities for students to develop the gifts we know that God has given them, yeah, but also right. to discover gifts that they don't even know that they have. And, and just looking back at the arrogance of thinking that that, that was really going to happen in English more than anywhere else, um, it's laughable now. But that's honestly one of the first things that I came is just sure. like, I think in a, just an understanding of how we're all contributing to forming and shaping these students. Like we've talked about education as formation and that that happens across our students' experiences in in every class. So that's one thing that, that came to mind. I think the other thing maybe is, is just a deepening, maybe this talk goes to what Abby is talking about a bit, is, is just a deeper understanding or maybe an appreciation or maybe a respect that our students' experiences outside of school shape their experiences mm-hmm. inside yeah. of school, mm-hmm. right? Like this, like just an understanding that that what's going on in a student's life outside of the classroom is really big and it's actually really important Mm -hmm. and and how might our and to not expect students to actually park that Mm -hmm. but actually to invite them to bring those experiences Mm -hmm. into the classroom and to create sort of this safe and brave space Mm -hmm. where 
where that's okay. Like we invite that actually, right? Yeah. Is to say, hey, like like maybe this one hour or the six hours in a school are, are your safest six hours of the day. And, and how do we em- embrace that and, and find the, find the grace for those students to be, you know what, like maybe today it's just, we're just glad you're here. It's mm-hmm. good. It's good that you are here with us today. Yeah, and, right. um, and so I just think a deepening understanding of that. Um, I've just seen so many, so many students whose experience, yeah, they have gone through very hard things and, um, yeah, you just want school to be a place where mm-hmm. they're with friends. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think I totally, I don't think I totally understood that. And I still think I'm deepening my understanding of that. And, and maybe that has also just come with how my experiences have well, shaped right. me, mm-hmm. right? Like I know what the hard things and, and the good things in my life, how that impacts mm-hmm. me. So then now make yourself a six or eight or 10 year old, 15 year old student mm-hmm. who you're still learning. You're like, you're trying to right. figure all right. of that out without that life experience, how much more so. So that, that would be the, the mm-hmm. second thing. And then the, and then the last thing I think I just, and I, we don't have to talk too much about it. I just think this idea of like, what do we mean when we use the word rigor, right? Like when I, oh, like yeah. I was a rigorous, I was a rigorous teacher because I gave lots of meaningless and useless homework. Like I realized, <laughs> I realized that now, right? It was around. I used was, to think. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to think, I used to think quantity of homework was sort of the definition of what makes a, a rigor right. a rigorous learning experience, which is which again is laugh which is laughable now. But it's so programmed. Oh yeah. Totally it is. And I had to depro I I had to deprogram. I even have to still sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Like struggle right. against yeah. that idea. Yeah. Well it's interesting, right? Because because and I and I've done this myself as a principal, so this is not throwing any teacher under the bus, I hope, but it it's this idea of sort of like, well when you're in when you're a senior in high school, you should have two to three hours of homework a night. Like sort of like, well, ten minutes per. Well, let's not talk about like two to three hours of homework. Let's how much meaningful homework are, are right. we giving, right? And and so for me that that it is programmed, and there was sort of like this expectation from I would feel that as administration, and I would put that expectation as an administrator, right? right like right. there'd be you'd get suspicious if there wasn't. Yeah, home, homework, <laughs> hmm. right? And what's so going on? In what's going on in that classroom? And well, maybe good learning is what's <laughs> right. what's going on. Yeah. And so, um, so I just think about that word rigor and homework and um, busy work. And so I, those are just, I mean, like I said, we could you could just take the last so many years, and I think flip if I think about it when I started to now, and I think so yeah. much has changed. And I hope, and honestly, I hope for all of us that in ten years or one year or five years, we could have the same discussion, right? right? Like, it, right. it should always be right. changing, I think. That's uh, sort of the point. I'm going to lean into that just a little bit, though, right? Because I think there are a lot of things that we should ask questions about and we should change our mind about, right? And we, the things we're talking about, we're thinking about pedagogy, we're thinking about students' needs and cultural demands, and yeah. maybe even our philosophy of education starts yeah. to shift over time. But I, I wonder about that. Are there things that we should never change our mind about mm-hmm. as, as teachers? And I don't have a good answer for that question, 
But I know there's some things I've become more sure of right. as I've taught too. Yeah. Or, or my understanding has changed or deepened about Right, yeah. right. And I think that's part of the process too, mm-hmm. right? Like changing my mind doesn't mean, well, I used to think, but now I think this is, I used to think, and now I really think. Right, yeah. like, right. That, Sometimes that's the way it is. Right, so for example, out. you know, we talk a lot in Ed Psych about um, our students as image bearers, and that's a very foundational element yeah, right. to teaching Christianly. I'm, right? I'm not going to let go of that one. Yeah. No. Never. Yeah. But also, I don't think I really knew what that meant when I was yeah. 23. Right. Right? right. <laughs> yeah. And so my pedagogy, while I believed that and said I believed that and did believe yeah. that, yeah. my pedagogy did not always reflect that belief, yeah. right? So yeah. I have mm-hmm. learned over the years how that belief plays itself out in my teaching right. yeah. much more deeply than I understood when mm-hmm. I was a beginning teacher. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Like I, I, yeah. I used to think, and now I really think, yeah. because I understand more deeply. Yeah. And so maybe the, the heart of this whole thing is if we're serious about teachers being models of lifelong learning, right? Yeah. We right. talk a lot about lifelong learning for our students, yeah. but for us too, that means we're going to keep developing. And developing yeah. means sometimes we're going to let go of things we used to think, and sometimes it means we're going to recommit ourselves yeah. to things mm-hmm. we've really now said this is how I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's a good point because I don't, if there is like a first or second or third year teacher here, I I don't, my worry then in listening to that, and I think that's super helpful, Dave, is that I don't want them to get the message, well, you just wait in 20 years. Right. You're going to look, look back at what you're doing and, and, and there well, are going to totally, yes, right? right? Like yeah. that, that there are things that we, you're, that you're doing in your first, second, third, third year that are good things. There. And you will keep doing And them. you will keep yeah. doing, and you should keep doing yeah. that. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that's important actually to say too, right? Is right. to say, and I think just like we talked about is like, that was my experience for yeah. me. Yep. Right, I was I was a pretty I was pretty immature when I started teaching. I had a lot of room for growth. I look at some of the students I even interact with here in my classes, like, oh my word, they're so much further ahead oh, than I where I that. was when I was twenty one or twenty two years old. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like oh like, hey, you don't you don't know anything, and now you're gonna figure it all out yeah. in twenty years. That's why I like the language of. Do you feel like as a profession, everyone kind of keeps moving forward a bit as well, right? So yeah. so maybe we know more collectively right. that we pass on to our students at undergrad level mm-hmm. that yeah. just wasn't mm-hmm. available 20 yeah. years ago. Right. For I, example, I would, learning styles. I would definitely agree with that, yeah. right? Like the... And that's not, again, to critique my undergrad no. program, right? Like no. I had a great education, yeah. but I do feel like people are able to start out better mm-hmm. than I was yeah. able to. Because yeah. we know more. And, and I hope in 20 years that's true when we're long right. gone from this right. place. For sure. That maybe some of the students we're teaching out here are going to be sitting in our offices right. having this conversation yes. saying, well, that Beamer's guy or that Mulder, you know, like that right. was great, but now we know so much more. And, totally. And that, sh- that should be true. We should hope for that actually, right? That's so, right. Because we keep learning. We, we do keep learning. No, that... That's helpful, I think, to end with that idea of, of, hey, I used to think, but now I know, but I used to think, but now I'm actually deepening even my, my understanding. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for that. Folks, we know that your time is valuable, and we want to thank you for joining us today for another Hallway Conversation. And what whether it is this day, this week, this month, or the upcoming school year, we do hope that the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. 
We want to thank you for the good, God-delighting work that you're doing in your schools and your communities. And as you go into this week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, give you peace, and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you. This podcast was quite literally dreamed up during one of our actual hallway conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Thanks for listening.